0: Good morning. As many of you will know, I was brought up in the village of Ramsden Heath, just a few miles from here. And um, my brother and I used to spend a lot of time out playing in the, the fields and, and the woods and the countryside um, that surround that village. And it was a great, it was a great place to grow up. When we were about, I was about seven or eight. So my brother, a couple of years older, we joined the RSPB, their sort of children's club. And um, every month, you'd get a magazine through. And one month we got this magazine through, and on the front cover there was an article. um, Well, there was sort of a headline, and it said, "I know where you live," and it was all about homing pigeons. Fair enough. On the inside of the front cover, there was an article all about sparrowhawks and how these birds of prey were that the the numbers were dwindling, and they were asking people to um, write in to the RSPB if they if they'd seen um, uh, sparrowhawks in their area or if they knew where they were nesting or anything like that, trying to do a sort of a national survey. Anyway, so my brother and I got this magazine and we went off on a holiday with mum and dad for a couple of weeks and when we got back we were sitting one morning um, in our conservatory having, having breakfast or something and um, we suddenly realised there was something on the conservatory roof. And my mum sort of said to my dad, oh, Mike, you must go up there and and get that down, whatever it is. My brother and I thought, ah, that looks looks interesting. So we went up to what was his bedroom that looked over the conservatory. He lowered me down by my wrist until I was sort of straddling um, the glass panels on the frame of the conservatory roof, worked my way down until I could get to this thing, which was a dead bird. So, being an eight-year-old boy, I picked it up, had a good look at it, threw it up to my brother, who, who missed it. I then straddled over to the, where it was again, threw it up again. Eventually, he caught it this time, and then he chucked it on his pillow and <laughs> reached out so he could pull me up. So he pulled me back in, I straddled in the window, and Mum and Dad had completely forgotten about this thing on the conservatory roof. But my brother and I were really excited about it, because it turned out to be a dead sparrow hawk. Goodness knows what had happened, whether it had flown into the window or just died of old age, mid-air, I don't know. But we got this bird, and we thought, there was that, there was that survey... They were asking for people to write in and tell them where they'd seen um, uh, sparrowhawks. We can go one better. We can, we're not going to write in and tell them we've seen one. We're going to send them a sparrowhawk. <laughs> They're going to love it. This is fantastic. And so we found an envelope, and the envelope wasn't quite big enough. We... we um, we put the beak in first and we got it down into a bottom corner and we had to kind of fold the legs in. But we eventually <laughs> with sellotate, we, we managed to get it in there and we put in as well this article, um, the one about the sparrowhawks. We thought at least then they'll know what it is. The mistake we made, I realise now it was a mistake probably, was we, we, we tore off the front cover of the magazine and we folded it to protect the article about sparrowhawks. We folded it so that the, the headline about the homing pigeons was, um, was on the outside. And so anyway, happy as Larry. We, we, we taped it all up, we put the address on there, we ran down to the corner shop. Um, it's, it's a little cafe now, isn't it? But it used to be a post office down there. We went up to the guy behind the counter, we sort of tiptoes put it on the counter... He, he looked at it. We scrambled together our pocket money, paid for it. And this was before the days of electronic stickers. He didn't just weigh it and then print off a sticker and gently stick it on. This is when they had the old rubber stamps. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so we paid, we paid for the stamps and everything, and, and Guy looked at it, and he just sort of went, <coughs> There you go, boys. And we were like, Thanks. Now, to be fair, it was dead already. But as we took it over to the receptacle where he told us to put the parcel, the envelope was going slightly pink and a little bit soggy. But never mind, we put it in there and we we walked home and we didn't exchange much conversation on the way home. But I do often wonder what the reaction was a few days later in the offices of the RSPB when some poor individual had this envelope that by now would have been quite moist and quite red, land on their desk, pull out the by now decomposing carcass of some dead bird that had clearly met with a very violent end because it had been bludgeoned, (laughs) and then looked at the accompanying note that said, I know where you live. (laughs) You see, my brother and I had really good intentions. We thought we were doing a really, really good thing. Unfortunately, we just didn't think it through. We didn't think it through. We weren't prepared. As a church, we can have really good intentions. We can, we can go out with the best will in the world. But if we don't think things through, then we can risk causing damage. So this morning, on the back of last week, I don't know about you, but on the back of last week, I was on a real spiritual high. I thought the away day was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was, it was really uplifting and positive. Um, and I thought that on Sunday morning, God really really spoke through Ian. I thought that was, that was a real blessing to us. And all week, I've been thinking, this is, this is exciting. I'm so blessed to be doing my training at a church with such ambition and such, such a vision for the future. This is, this is a good thing to be part of. But we have to have instructions to follow we have to have guidelines we have to know before we go out and and put all this thing into action we have to know where we're going and so this morning if you've got a pew bible please turn to 1 peter chapter 1 because this week i've read 1 peter and i've been really touched by some of the things in there on the back of the euphoria of the away day last week. All right, maybe euphoria is over-egging it slightly, but but it was a really good day. But let's harness that energy. Verse 13, Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. It tells us, be prepared for action. Be prepared. I was never a Boy Scout. I was an air cadet. I might have mentioned that before. But be prepared is the motto of the Boy Scouts. Peter doesn't tell us what to be prepared for. He says, prepare your minds for action. But he doesn't say what sort of action. He doesn't say what what is coming that's going to require our action. But he does say that we should be prepared for action. So whatever we're doing in life, we should always make sure that spiritually we are ready for God's prompting. We are ready to to follow in the footsteps of, of Levi when Jesus just said to him, Levi, get up, follow me. And he dropped everything and followed Jesus. We need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared. I used to do a lot of cross-country running. And I always remember when I was at college, we started a cross-country race. There was um, probably about 150, 200 people lined up at the start. It was a freezing cold January morning. And there was a guy in front of me from another college who had had done a sensible thing and kept his tracksuit on to keep warm right up until the race was about to start. And the starter called us all to order. So this guy pulled off his tracksuit top, chucked it to one side, and then he pulled off his tracksuit bottoms... And then he realised he hadn't put his shorts on underneath. <laughs> so he had to put his trousers back up, and I don't know what happened to him. The, the, the race started, and I, I, didn't, I didn't see what happened. But let's not be caught cool with our trousers down. <laughs> you see, Peter goes on, he says, be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean don't react to anything. That doesn't mean we need to be sort of almost like a machine in the way that, the way that we are. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. So we've got to stay alert. We've got to make sure that we can be devoted to prayer, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that we shut ourselves in some sort of hermit-like attitude. That means that, that while we're praying, we are alert to what's going on around us. We can't pray effectively if we've got our eyes shut and, and our heads down. We've got to be aware of what is going on around us. But We've got to have that control to have an attitude of thanksgiving, to recognise the blessings that God pours out upon us every day. Set your minute and have an attitude of thanksgiving for that. Set your hope on God's grace. Do not conform to the ways of this world. These are the instructions that come through in this passage. Do not conform to evil desires. Of course, Paul in Romans 12, he says, do not conform to the ways of the world. Now, actually, there's an awful lot of thing, things about Christian teaching that the world approves of. There's an awful lot of, of qualities that the Bible promotes that most people would say, yeah, that's a good thing. I want to I live my life like that. If we look at the, the list of the fruits of the Spirit all the things that are listed there as part of the fruit of the Spirit, most people would say, that's positive, that's good. I'd like to, I'd like to portray that in my life. We look at the, um, the, the uh, Billerickey Random Acts of Kindness. This organisation that's been set up, um, Paul Carr and uh, Matt Everard, um, a, a Christian leader and a non-Christian, have set this thing up. There are times when actually the church and the world, they share values, but there are other times when we say there's only one path to salvation, suddenly the world disapproves suddenly the church is out of date and irrelevant because the world says so. In verse 16, Peter tells us to be holy. He references Leviticus 11, 44 to 45, where God says to Moses, be holy because I am holy. That's what we're called to do, to live an attitude with God-like attitude, godlike character, to reflect the goodness of God in all we do now of course we'll never reach that we'll never reach perfection like that but we should strive to be as good as we can be so I got to college on Monday morning and um, I was, I, as I say, I really enjoyed the weekend and I was feeling really blessed. And uh, it had been a busy weekend, been a tiring weekend when I wasn't involved in church things. I was doing essays, it's that time of year. And um, I got to college on Monday tired. But I thought, well, that's okay, because the guy I share a room with at college on Monday nights, he goes to bed very, very early. He's a, he's a really nice guy. I get on really well with him. And he goes to bed really early. He gets up early as well. So I, I normally get a good night's sleep when I'm at college. And that's, that's important. Monday night having had a weekend where I felt blessed and spiritually nourished, I suddenly, at half-past eleven, get woken up by... <laughs> he doesn't normally snore. But this, honestly, it was like sharing a room with an asthmatic walrus. It was awful. <laughs> and so I started off... I'm not going to say what his name is, just in case, but I started off calling his name, just whispering it. No response. So I started talking a bit louder. No response. Ten minutes went by. I shouted his name, because I, I needed sleep. No response. I turned the light on. Turns out he's got one of the um, blindfolds on, so that was no use. So I turned the light off. I slammed the door of the bedside table that sits between the two beds. No response. I was getting quite agitated by this point. The, the wardrobe next to me that stands there, but it's empty, is like a drum. So I bang, bang, bang. No, it didn't. it didn't have any effect. He didn't wake up. Eventually, I, I just I really got frustrated. I went out. We've got, um, next, to, next to the bedroom that we're in, there's uh, the, the, the shower, shower rooms and toilets, and it's quite an old plumbing system. You flush one of those toilets, it makes a heck of a noise. So I went in. I flushed every single toilet in there. The noise was unbearable. I must have woken half the block, but he still stayed fast asleep. And I was getting really angry. Eventually, I just sat there, sat there and I said, Shut up! And he sort of twitched slightly, and at that point, I realised he's got earplugs in as well. (laughs) Honestly, and I I just, I managed to get to sleep eventually, and then I woke up again, and it was an awful night's sleep. And in the morning, I just woke up, and I picked up my Bible, but I was well aware by that point that that night, Monday night, I had a choice. I could have just said, "Lord, do you know what? You've blessed me in so many ways. You're not blessed me with a night's sleep, but..." Bless him. Maybe he needs it more than me. Maybe he's had an awful weekend and he needs the rest. So I could have done that, but instead I sat there, getting agitated and angry and losing my temper and going and doing irrational, stupid things. You know, at one point I was looking at the pillow, but I decided that might be a step too far. But I got angry. I got angry. I didn't have the self-control. I conformed to the ways of the world. I conformed to my evil desires. (laughs) Not fully, but I wasn't far off. Verse 17 says that as Christians, Peter says, live your lives as strangers in reverent fear. That sounds like a slightly odd thing to say. How can we live our lives as strangers? How can we live our lives as strangers? We're not strangers. But what, Paul's say, what Peter's saying is that we should, we should be different. When we make a commitment to Christ, there should be a change in us. We should be noticeably different to the ways of the world. Charles Swindle uses the example of marriage to explain this verse. He says, when I was serving in the military 8,000 miles away from my wife, I had nobody around to check up on me as far as my holy matrimony was concerned. I had only the memory of standing before God and a couple of preachers who said the right words so that Cynthia and I might be husband and wife. I had the memory of being exclusively set apart unto my wife, and she exclusively set apart unto me for the rest of our lives. It was a holy setting apart of our lives to one another. To go into another life and to be intimate with another partner would be to break that holy relationship, that exclusive oneness that was ours by holy matrimony. But it wasn't enough to have consecrated myself to my wife that one moment. I had to continue to glance down at my wedding ring, stare at that photograph, cling to those letters and remember those words. You see, even though I was permanently set apart unto my wife, I still needed to be continually confirmed in that commitment. What's true in marriage is true in our relationship with God. We were declared holy by our gracious God when we were saved, entering into a permanent relationship with him. But from day to day, we must continually remind ourselves of our holy calling, re- recommit ourselves to it, and live in it. That's Charles Swindle, the American evangelist. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. If we think of, think of our spouse or someone that we, that we dearly love, and the way that we treat them, the way that we would drop everything when they call, the way that, that we are bonded to them for life. That's the attitude we should have in our relationship with God if we're saved through Christ we should live through Christ Christ died for us so that we might live for him in light of next weekend uh, sorry in light of last weekend when we came out with with some really exciting initiatives. We talked about the future of the church. We talked about about building, about new premises or renovating premises. We talked about growing the kingdom. We talked about community um, initiatives that we can get involved in or that we can pioneer, groups that we can support, people we can release. It was really good, positive stuff. The enemy loves a church that is asleep. The enemy loves to lay next to a church and hear it snoring. He doesn't get angry at that. He doesn't start trying to wake it up and, and bang doors and t- flush toilets and make as much noise as he can. He loves it when a church has got an eye patch and earplugs in. That's no threat to him. That's not this church. And it's certainly not going to be this church going forward. And so we've got to be careful. We've got to bear in mind, Hebrews 12:15. see to it that no one misses the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The enemy will not like a church that is pushing back frontiers, that is fighting to build the kingdom of God in its community. And so let's make sure that we build relationships that are tight and that are meaningful. Let's be a fellowship that is knit together so closely that no bitter root can undermine it. Right now... We can do this. Just take a little look around you. Think of the people left or right of you, the people in front of you. Jobs. If you're in the front row, then think about our youth leaders, our children's workers, who are currently doing one of the most difficult jobs in ministry, right as we speak. And let's commit to praying for one another this week. I'm not going to ask us to get into small groups or anything like that right now. I am going to say, let's commit. When we get home, let's seriously commit this week to remembering those people in prayer every day, lifting one another up. Maybe after the service, have coffee with someone you've never spoken to before. Maybe, maybe meet them in the week. Maybe invite them around for a meal. Whatever it is, let's build relationships that are so strong that no bitter root can undermine them. We've got an exciting future. We've got a brilliant future. And the best thing is, we are doing all of this to honour God. This is not about our glory. This is not about the glory of Billericay Baptist Church. This is not a, a, a spiritual pat on the back. This is purely holding up a mirror to reflect back to God his glory. Peter reminds us, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed to you in these last times for your sake. When we come to the communion table shortly, we know that we are saved by the blood of Christ. When we were praying with the worship team before the service, Ben used the words... Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I love that, because at the end of this passage, Peter quotes Psalm 118. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The word of the Lord stands forever. So as we embark as a fellowship on this journey, let's remember, there will be pitfalls, there will be challenges, there will also be moments of, of absolute joy and euphoria when we celebrate achievements and we give thanks to God for the blessings that he pours out upon us. But you and I, we won't last forever. Our work will come and go. But what we do know is that despite us, despite our withering, our falling, the word of the Lord stands forever. Just before we sing our next song, I just, when we we're worshipping this morning, I've, I've not really had this before. When we we're worshipping this morning, um, I felt a real, um, a real urge to say this. So this wasn't planned as part of the sermon, but. Um, It does sort of tie in, now I'm thinking about it. I was looking at the cross, and I often focus on the cross in worship, and, um, well, normally I'm focusing on the words, because I don't know the words to many songs, but um, I I do often focus on the cross. And it just struck me, looking at those two pieces of wood, people, I've heard it said before, that the cross, when you look at it, it's like you've got the relationship between man and God, God at the top, man at the bottom, and then the horizontal plank is um, relationship between man and man, so you've got love God and love one another I was looking at that, and just take a minute, just look at the texture of the wood, just look at the the grain of the wood, on the plank for going from uh, top to bottom the grain is very straight very smooth, there's no real interruptions in it because whenever we take things to God whenever we pray to God, he doesn't get the hump with us, he doesn't get annoyed with us and, and say, I'm not talking to you no, you've had your chance, no, I said no he doesn't take his ball home and go home. He doesn't treat us like that. He keeps that avenue clear and open. The horizontal piece of wood up there is covered in, in knots and um, veins and funny markings. It's not got the nice, smooth openness of the other piece. And so just as I was preaching, I just thought I'd share that because I really feel that as a fellowship... We need to make sure that we guard against any knots and, um, and um, lines in the, in, in the relationship that we have, any barriers in the relationship, any impurity in relationships that we have. Let's make sure as a fellowship that we get our, we get our plank, <laughs> we get the grain to run free and open and just straight and nice and smooth and lovely like, like that one that goes vertically there. I don't know. I don't know if that if that speaks to anyone, but I just felt that really strongly during worship. So I hope that's made sense. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this fellowship. Father, thank you that we can we can sit here amongst one another, that we can sit here in your presence and share your word. Thank you, Lord, that. You know each and every one of us intimately. Father, thank you that you have a plan for each of us. And Lord, we pray that last weekend we we had a glimpse into that plan for this church. Father, help us to live lives that honour you. Help us to to speak well so that our tongue is tamed. Father, help us to, to be honest with you to be honest with ourselves. Father, help us not to to have bad relationships, but to seek to have good relationships with people. Help us not to conform to our evil desires, but instead to conform to your word. Father, we pray for your protection over this church. We pray that you you will harness the energy and the momentum that we have and use it going forward as we seek to further your kingdom here in this community lord protect us from the evil one give us strength give us all the resources we need give us the energy the desire the shared vision to take this church forward to achieve more than we can possibly imagine to reach out to the lost to 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 feed the hungry to clothe the naked father help us to achieve your mission in biliriki and help us to do all of that with an attitude with a heart of love and mercy and grace and kindness. Father, help us to reflect your glory in all that we do, both corporately and individually, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.